evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 280. And tonight we finally get to the pivotal passage um, that reveals the true mystery of the wolves on the hilltop. We've been focusing on the battle on the hilltop uh, and the attack of the wolves. And we've talked a lot about the awesome alliteration and similes and metaphors in those passages. Um, and there's been a lot to think about tonight. Uh, we finally get to talk about what very many of you have been wanting to talk about for a while, and that is the wolves. Um, what exactly is up with these wolves? So, um, uh, so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But first, I have an announcement tonight. And uh, for my announcement, I have a special guest here to help me with my announcement because I want to talk to you about a thing I've mentioned a couple times before, but it's finally happening this weekend, and that is our Fall Space Showcase. So I would like to uh, to bring in and introduce Rob Goslin, who is the director of our space program. Rob, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, the wolves, the wolves, <laughs> the wolves. They're coming oh, up. Can't wait. They're disappearing tonight. The the yeah, bodies are yeah. vanishing tonight. It's so exciting. <laughs> well, thank you so much for inviting uh, me on, Corey. Uh, I hope everyone is uh, having a wonderful time with Dr. Olson and exploring the Lord of the Rings. Again, my name is Rob Goslin, and I am the director of Signum's space program. And if you haven't heard about space, uh, space stands for Signum Portals for Adult Continuing Education. And I just wanted to pop in here tonight to let you know that we are hosting a very exciting space showcase this Saturday, so October 28th, and it's to celebrate our two-year mark of the program. And we would love to have you join us for our big event. So a little bit of info about it. Our showcase will feature several of our space preceptors, our, our teaching faculty, and their modules in little 30-minute segments. Every month, normally in space, we run monthly modules across our four main sectors of learning. And so our four sectors are creative writing, fantasy studies, language, and general humanities. And our showcase is our way to share little teasers or capsules from our receptors so folks can check out what space is all about. So our Saturday showcase event will begin at 10 a.m. Eastern, and we will be featuring 11 different capsule sessions throughout the day across our four sectors, and we'll end around 4.45 Eastern or so. And you can sign up for as many of the 11 capsules as you wish to participate in. It's a live event. And everyone is welcome, and best of all, the event is free. So we would be just delighted to have you check out and see what space is all about. Uh, uh, Corey will be sharing some of the links if you're interested in just learning a little bit more. The Signum University webpage has, has some info, and we have our registration link if you want to register for one or all the capsules. So uh, we'd love to see you, and uh, it's always a delight for, for us and my team to be able to share about our program and we're really excited to be two years in now with it so uh, that's a little bit about it and we'd love to see you 
Oh man, two years. It's amazing that it's been two years. It feels uh, it like just last week that we launched this and it's been so exciting to watch it grow, Rob. Um, mm-hmm. So many fun things uh, that have been happening. We got some really exciting things that are that are, that are are coming up, right? Like I know I've, I've already mentioned uh, how Amy Sturgis is going to be uh, in the showcase yes. and is going to be doing some modules with us coming up soon. Um, that yeah, I know is going to be really exciting. She is kicking off the showcase, actually. So at 10 a.m. is, yes, Dr. Amy Sturgis. So she is doing a capsule on Get Haunted by the Haunting of Hill. So you can check that out if you want to start us off. Nice. So she's even doing a seasonally thematic capsule. That is so Amy Sturgis. She is so on top of things. <laughs> Very much so. Awesome. <laughs> she is. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Um, very cool. So I'm, uh, are there, uh, can you, uh, tell us a few of the other things that are kind of like, as, as we're kind of looking, you know, you know, people thinking about what's coming up in space over the next, over the next few months, what are some of the things that people, um, that people can expect? Cause some people don't know too much about space. So tell people more about like the kinds of modules that we generally offer and, and what that's like. Yeah, so uh, if we're talking about the showcase specifically, uh, they're featuring modules that are running in November, uh, December, and January. And so you get a little taste of some of the modules. Uh, So for example, if you're interested in some token studies, uh, modules adjacent, token adjacent kind of modules, uh, we have two featuring at the showcase. Uh, One is called Tolkien and the Romantics, Imagining and Dreaming. And then another Tolkien kind of adjacent one, um, or at least it has some Tolkien uh, content in it, uh, is uh, re- representing utopia through the ages. And for one little part, uh, they'll look at uh, Tolkien's Numenor as a fantasy oh, utopia. Yeah. Um, so if you're interested in language, uh, most of our languages, uh, historical and modern languages, will be kicking off new uh, new series uh, mm-hmm. in January. And, um you can look forward to that if you're interested in some of our languages. Our creative uh, writers, um, we have a collaborative group of preceptors that are putting forward a very exciting novel in a year. Yes. And so uh, it is a huge opportunity. Uh, if you're interested in uh, writing your own stories, uh, you can join for a good part of next year, or you can jump in for just uh, one module at a time. Uh, but we've got a very Hang on, lost your audio there for a second. In the New Year as well. There we go. Sorry. Oh, okay. Can you hear me okay now? Yes. Yeah. So I was just sharing about novel in a year, uh, just some exciting creative modules in the New Year as well. So uh, that's a little bit. um, And uh, you can check out BlackBerry. BlackBerry is where we have all of our monthly modules. And so uh, in November, we have our, uh, our... are confirmed modules coming up and then we've got candidate modules where students need to vote on these uh tell us what you want to uh to run and so you can check out our december modules uh uh for that awesome awesome very good well thank you rob i hope that lots of people will join us i sent out um i sent out the links on um uh on everywhere 
send out the links everywhere that I could. <laughs> so folks, uh, we'd love can, to see you. Yes. Can 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 find and can register for it. Um, again, the the showcase is free, so you can get a really wonderful taste of what our space program has been about. I've heard so many wonderful things from folks who are have been in our space class, including people in my own family who have really loved and um, been really blessed and stimulated by the opportunity to study stuff in space. So Corey, some are <laughs> calling it the candy store of Signum. <laughs> That's it, the candy store of Signum. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So, awesome. Um, oh yeah, one of the middle high German students is just uh, uh, is just talking about that Eric here. So, um, yes. <laughs> awesome. Anyway. Rob, thank you so much for stopping by uh, and telling us thank about you, it. Rob, Corey. thank you for all your work in space. It's been phenomenal, and I can't wait for the showcase this weekend. Um, gonna get to pop in and say hi. I know for a bit, and then, um, yes. and then, you know, excited to see all the things that are coming here over the next uh, over the next few months. Super. Thanks, Corey. It's been a joy, and enjoy the wool. <laughs> Excellent. We will. We will. Thanks very much. Yeah. Take care. Okay. Bye. Now. Bye. Okay. All right. Now I got to change my settings back a little bit here. <laughs> okay. All right. I think we're good here. Excellent. Um, here we are. Okay. Back to single audio stream. Whew. All right. Awesome. So, uh, thanks. Uh, wanted you guys to be able to uh, uh, to meet Rob Gosselin, who as the director of our space program, uh, he is just doing wonderful work over there um, in making dreams come true over in the space program. It's been uh, uh, it's been it's been very cool. Uh, so don't forget to tune in to the space showcase this weekend. All right. Let us get back to the text, because the paragraph everyone's been waiting for is uh, is is finally here. Um, where we talk about the wolves and what exactly they are. So, <clears throat> when the full light of the morning came, no signs of the wolves were to be found, and they looked in vain for the bodies of the dead. No trace of the fight remained, but the charred trees and the arrows of Legolas lying on the hilltop. All were undamaged, save one of which only the point was left. It is as I feared, said Gandalf. These were no ordinary wolves hunting for food in the wilderness. Let us eat quickly and go. That day the weather changed again, almost as if it was at the command of some power that had no longer any use for snow, since they had retreated from the pass, a power that wished now to have a clear light in which things that moved in the wild could be seen from far away. The wind had been turning through north to northwest during the night, and now it failed. The clouds vanished southwards, and the sky was opened, high and blue. As they stood upon the hillside, ready to depart, a pale sunlight gleamed over the mountain tops. All right. So first, the wolves. Yeah, it is almost as if that does feel like a, a weighty phrase, isn't it, Maureen? Um, so... What is up with the wolves? Gandalf's statement seems, well, rather an understatement, don't you think? These were no ordinary wolves hunting for food in the wilderness. Well, well, no. No, they don't seem to have been ordinary wolves at all. 
right? But uh, it really seems to qualify that for uh, seems to qualify him for an understatement of the year award, right? Um, so, okay, what have we just learned about these wolves? Um, okay, taking Gandalf's rather um, modest initial assessment that they're not ordinary wolves. In what ways exactly are we meant to understand that they are extraordinary? I remember thinking as a kid when I got to this passage. First of all, I remember not thinking about this very much because I found it very confusing. And in fact, I, my recollection was kind of clinging to Gandalf's words here. Um, being confused, like being kind of... Uh, you know, finding it spooky and weird that the wolf corpses had all disappeared. Um, but kind of being at a loss to really explain it. Um, and then Gandalf saying these were no ordinary wolves and just kind of clinging to that and being like, yes, right. Mm, no ordinary wolves. Um, so what happened? What happened to the bodies of the wolves that they killed, we saw several very definite fatalities, right? From the first one who came in, whom Legolas shot um, when his bow twanged in that uh, that first passage that was so focused on on sounds and things, uh, to the one that um, uh, Aragorn thrust through the throat, uh, the one that Boromir decapitated, right? I mean. Um, the last chieftain who took Legolas's burning arrow in the heart. Um, yeah, so again, I remember uh, when I was young, assuming that Tolkien was implying that the other wolves had come and carried off the bodies of the dead wolves. And that that's what Gandalf meant when he said there were no ordinary wolves hunting for food in the wilderness. They were doing, they're not ordinary. This is not ordinary wolf behavior, right? Um, but, um, but it's clearly more than that. This, it's not just the, the corpses are not just missing. It says no signs of the wolves were to be found, and they looked in vain for the bodies of the dead. No trace of the fight remained. No signs of the wolves, no trace of the fight. That suggests not only are there no bodies, there is no blood, there is no, uh, like, drag marks from where the bodies were dragged away, um, and of course, then there's the evidence of the arrows. All of Legolas's arrows with which he shot wolves are lying there on the hilltop, undamaged. Single-use wolves, Kurtzimus. Yeah, <laughs> Nancy suggests they're environmentally friendly biodegradable wolves, which certainly seems to be the case. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, the only 
it seems to me the only explanation of what has of what is being described for what is being described in this paragraph is that the bodies of the wolves simply dissolved or evaporated yeah uh winged balrog uh, remembering the morgul blade right which uh uh dissipated into smoke when the sun rose um yeah yeah they um or they never were well i don't know about that um i think legolas's arrows again prove that there were wolves there i mean first of all again the um presumably aragorn and Boromir and uh, and and uh, Gimli could presumably attest to um, something, some resistant material having been there the night before. Um, uh, but that's exactly exactly as Doctor Benway and Wobe were just saying. The arrows seem to disprove it because something stopped the arrows. The arrows are lying there on the hilltop where the wolf corpses were lying. Right? It's not that the arrows merely in fact, passed through and, you know, whatever, hit trees or are stuck into the ground. or something. They're lying on the, on the hilltop, the arrows are. Um, so that doesn't, they don't, mere illusions does not seem like it would explain it. Um, yeah. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. Tujus Man says illusions like that don't seem to be Sauron's modus operandi. Um, perhaps. Though, I'm not sure that's completely true. Um, who is it? Um, who is it that says... Um, talks about phantoms of Sauron's craft. Um, yeah, Sphinx says they're like video game corpses that fade out after a bit. Um, uh, yeah. they. I mean, yes. That kind of looks like it. Um, and yes, the one, the broken one, the the, the one undamaged one is, is the one that, that caught fire. I think. I mean, that, that seemed, of which only the point was, by which I, it's the arrowhead, right? So the wooden shaft burned in the very real fire because the trees, the charred trees are still there as well, right? That is just the trees. I mean, it's, it's not like the whole fight didn't happen, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So... So what happened? So what do we have? They were wraiths of some sort? Did they have bodies? Did they have bodies that somehow vanished or dispersed? Yes, JJ, thank you. That is the line I was thinking of. Are you not a wizard, some spy of Saruman, or phantoms of his craft? Yes. 
that is indeed the line I was thinking of. Um, but it's Saruman's craft that is being pointed to there. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Nancy suggests there might have been 17 canine rings uh, for the wargs of Eregion. Um That would possibly explain this. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Conctator completely agree. They clearly had substance. Um, you're not decapitating a wraith. You can stab him in the knee, apparently, but, but you're not decapitating them. Um, first of all, one thing I think we have to admit here, as in many other places, we're never going to be told the full answer to this question, right? What's perfectly clear is we're not just dealing with the wargs of the Hobbit. We had lots of callbacks to that. Like we had, lo we had, we had lots of reasons to remember the wargs and to be thinking about um, the, um, um, to be thinking about the, um, that episode to compare and contrast right? Whether it's comparing and contrasting Gandalf's fire magic and how that's developed a good deal since the old pinecone days. Um, but but we're not this is not exactly that, right? Um, yes, praise, I agree that the wolves remind you remind me too of the werewolves of the Silmarillion, but they're not exactly like um yeah um let's talk about werewolves on the one hand tolkien never specified like he never explained werewolves there's a lot of things he doesn't explain but but he didn't even give the same amount of explanation for werewolves as he did of like trolls or well, orcs are their whole own problem, but um, however, this doesn't stop him from using talking of werewolves a lot, right? Werewolves are kind of a thing in Tolkien. They're kind of a peripheral thing. They're not mainstream like orcs and dragons, but they're they're there, and they're there in lots of places. Uh, and in fact, of course you will remember that Tol Ingarhoth in the Silmarillion, the island, right? It's, 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 uh, it's Minas Tirith, right? It's Tol Syrian and Minas Tirith the, is the, the Tower of Guard that Finrod Felgen builds on it. Um, and when Sauron takes it and makes it his own home base, it is called Tol Ingarhoth. Um, Ingaurhoth, which is exactly the word that Gandalf used in his spell a couple weeks back, right? His fire spell. That same word, Tol Ingaurhoth, the Isle of the Wolf Host, is seems to be what it literally translates to. But in English, Tolkien called it the Isle of Werewolves in the Silmarillion material. Like, werewolf is the word that he used. And yes, praise, Sauron is called the Lord of Werewolves. Um, there is a lot of... Um, um, 
many references of that kind. And not only are they, um, are there lots of references to werewolves, but there are almost all of the references to werewolves um, in Tolkien's Legendarium are connected to Sauron specifically. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, the word werewolves is used once in... Where is that? Book 2, Chapter 1? Hang on. I love this game. I love this game. Hang on. Let me see if I can remember. In many meetings... Let's see. Um, it's the only place in the Lord of the Rings? I can't come up with it. This is one of my favorite games. Pick a random word that's used only once or twice in the Lord of the Rings and try to remember the sentences in which it, in which they happen. It's what made you ask about it four years ago, Johannes? Awesome. Tell us. Tell us. Remind us of the passage and we can come back to it now. Oh, is it when Gandalf is it's is it in the, 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 the speech where Gandalf says, but not all of his uh uh servants and chattels are wraiths? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Hang on, did I miss it? Somebody post it again. Uh, okay, there we go. Yep. Thank you. There are orcs and trolls, there are wargs and werewolves, and there have been and still are many men, warriors and kings that walk under the sun and yet are under his sway. Okay, there we go. There we go. Yeah, in fact, you're right, Town. That conversation happens on today's date, October 24th. Exactly. What a perfect day to talk about this. And Johannes, I bet you that back then, four years ago, when we were talking about that passage, I said, um, we'll come back to that later on, right? And today is the day we're going to come back to it. Because if that was the only time the word werewolves is used... Um, uh, in the text, this is the only time we're going to get, I think, anything close to an actual encounter with werewolves or any, really do any interacting with, uh, with werewolves. Um, so, um, yeah, so I agree that, that, that it's good to remember that passage because of course, even there, as several of you are pointing out, um, Gandalf lists them separately. There are wargs and werewolves, as if those two things are different. Um, so what does this mean? What is a werewolf in Tolkien's world? Well, um, whatever is the case, I think that we can forget anything we know about the sort of medieval French tradition of werewolves and lycanthropy. 
the idea of uh, you know, lycanthropy as a curse that is laid upon someone for some reason or other to become a werewolf. You know, I, I, so a human who transforms into a, a werewolf at the full moon, right, and and uh, possibly can infect others uh, with their bites and all that kind of thing. Um, that um, uh, that is not yes i agree emily the and their number is growing daily refers to the men who serve sauron not to werewolves i believe um but um um but uh, uh i believe that where um is fr yes it means man wolf basically yes um I, I i that's always been my understanding of the origin of the uh, of that word. Um, right. Cognate with Latin beer. That's just what I, or weir. That's just what I was thinking. Um, uh, Eric. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so wouldn't Tolkien use it in that sense? No, I see absolutely no evidence that he ever used werewolf in that sense. Um, he uses the concept of werewolves quite frequently. Um, I don't believe there is any evidence whatsoever that any of the werewolves, so-called, in Tolkien's world transform, are skin changers, right? Transform between human and wolf. Um, that just, I, again, I see no, I no evidence of that whatsoever. So far as I know, there's only one human who's ever transformed into a wolf in Tolkien's Legendarium, and that's Baron under totally different circumstances. And it was consensual. Um, yes, evil spirits in wolf forms is much more the vibe, Musico. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. That there is some kind of spiritual thing happening. Remember that when Sauron sets himself up as Lord of Werewolves in the Isle of Werewolves, he is also the necromancer. Um, he is the, the. This is through the sorcerer Sauron when he was at his uh, his uh, necromantic uh, peak. There, um, he will be called the necromancer later on. But this was uh, this was his OG days as a necromancer, um, and. Um, Oh, sorry, Frumius Bujum. I don't mean it was consensual with the wolf. He didn't ask Drogluans. <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry. It is Luthien who transforms him into a wolf. And he is cons it's consensual between Baron and Luthien, not between Baron and Drogluan. Sorry. I, I didn't mean to I, I, I didn't mean to imply that it was. No, Drogluan quite involuntarily donates his pelt. Um, but it, it is the magic of Luthien that makes him able to assume its form. Um but um, anyway, okay, so that Sauron is into enslaving spirits. Um, uh, that, like, enslaving spirits, some of which are spirits of the dead, um, but that he is into enslaving spirits, whether they be minor like Maiar spirits, whether they be spirits of the dead, um, and forcing them to do things and to inhabit things. 
They might be barrows, for instance. Um, they might be other kinds of creatures. Um, it's possible that dragons are that as well. Um, yes, that he is into exercising dominion over spirits is a clearly established thing. And I had always understood um, um, oh, thank you, Maureen. Um, he's, this is, uh, Maureen just pasted a quote from his letters talking about wargs. Um, where he does call them an evil breed of parentheses demonic wolves. Um, uh, but um, yeah, he's not talking about werewolves there specifically. Whether Sauron, old OG Sauron, that is, back in the day, was taking beasts, taking wolves, and forcing spirits into their like joining spirits with their bodies forcibly right so as to create this sort of like amped up creature um or whether he was taking spirits and having those spirits take wolf form physical wolf form um that's how it all i mean the only things that are said about werewolves in the Silmarillion seem to me to match that kind of thing, and it seems to match more of um, Sauron's normal M.O. in the Silmarillion, again, in that, in that phase of his career at that point. Um, yeah, the Silmarillion does talk about Drogluin being the sire of werewolves, um, and I always felt that Drogluin, I, I thought that that's what Drogluin was, um, a wolf with a spirit which was serving Sauron um, who like invests the body of a very large wolf um, that kind of thing is a that that process is a process Tolkien talks about in fact it's one of the theories that he puts forward as a possible explanation for orc origins when he's trying to work out his orc problem which he never fully solves um and that is when um, uh, that he imagines that one possible explanation of orcs could be that they are some sort of beast, some sort of animal that has a spirit um, uh, sort of mingled with it, bonded to it, in a sense. Um, yes, agreed, JJ. Right, that's exactly. Drug Lewin is repeatedly called a werewolf. Um, in the history of Middle-earth. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, right, yes, one, exactly. Um, Glaurung probably also has a spirit within him, um, but he also reproduces because he's not just a spirit. He's an animal also. Footnote. Melian also reproduces just saying there's precedent for Maiar being able to take on physical form and to reproduce in that form. Right. Um, so 
we can't say that it's impossible for a spiritual being in Tolkien's world to take on physical form and thereafter reproduce with a corporeal creature. And as Musical was saying earlier, um, we also have Ungoliant as an example of that, right? Breeding with other spidery mates, um, uh, begetting Shelob et al. Um, yeah. Um, Right, good, JJ, exactly. I was remembering that one as well. The creature that kills Finrod when he's defending Baron in the prison is explicitly identified as a werewolf. Um, so I wouldn't um, I wouldn't fixate too much on the sexual reproduction question, mostly because I don't think it's terribly relevant here. Um, uh but um uh anyway I, yeah do werewolves reproduce is a totally different question still trying to figure out what they are right and again it seems to me one of two things either they are minor minor myar spirits who cause somebody's asking what spirits before. I don't think they're dead spirits. I don't think that these are the spirits of dead elves or humans who are being locked into wolf form or something like that. That I don't think that's possible. Um, I'm pretty sure it's not possible with human souls. Is it possible with elf souls that unwisely choose to linger in Middle Earth and not go to um, Mandos? It's possible, but I, they can come under the dominion of Sauron, like of, of, of the enemy. And Sauron, this was a favorite thing of his. Um, Tolkien talks about this in Morgoth's Ring, how necromancy works. Um, but I'm not sure they can be spliced together with animals like that. Um, it seems to me likeliest. Well, again, one way or the other, whether this is a Maiar spirit, whether the where oh, you're like your average garden variety werewolf, that is, whether your average garden variety werewolf is a Maiar spirit who has physically taken the form of a wolf, um, or is a uh, Maiar spirit who has been bonded somehow to a physical, you know, carnal wolf. Um, either way, again, I'm not worried about reproduction either way, because we don't have any evidence of wolves of that kind, just like living independently in the wild. It mattered for orcs, like that orcs can reproduce themselves mattered because otherwise they would have died out between the war of wrath and the next war. Right. Um, that orcs survived independently in separate communities until the next Dark Lord arose to enslave them again um, is clearly has to be true. Um, but this is not necessarily true of werewolves. Um, so anyway, but based on the evidence of this paragraph, I think of the two potential explanations that I just mentioned, either some minor spirit 
who takes a phys the physical form of a wolf. Um, or whether it's the, um, and by the way, even Draugluin, father of werewolves, um, we do know that he reproduces um, because Kakaroth is explicitly his whelp. So there it is. But again, I don't feel like that proves anything necessarily one way or the other um, about Draugluin himself because again, if he were a Maiar taking a physical form, um, so was Melian. So, um, and he left his pelt behind, Nancy. That's a really good point. Yeah, Drugluin does leave a corpse. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Um, yep. I don't know. Vardendil is pointing out how Saruman's body dissipates upon his death. Well, yes. I agree with Sphinx's uh, clarification of shriveling and dissipating. Um, of, yeah, something goes up in smoke and uh, uh, that is what dissipates. It's blown away like smoke. Yes, his spirit. Um, I agree with that. Um, Saruman's body withers. Right, Tomas says, so does Feanor. Yeah. Um, Feanor. Feanor is nothing if not a bad data point, right? Um, from his conception on, from his parentage through everything, Feanor is a bad data point. Um, so I'm not even going there. Um, Saruman is kind of a bad data point, too. I agree, Cal Elros. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, okay. The biggest problem that I see with, underst with understanding the werewolves that I, and I, I can't, it's, it's clear that these are not wolves. And again, I think that Gandalf is deliberately underselling things here. Um, again, this is a, such a massive, uh, of course, everyone knew they weren't ordinary wolves hunting for food in the wilderness. Does he actually think that there's anyone on that hilltop who thinks it was a coincidence that all of these wolves, you know, uh, uh, came together at this hill um, you know, waited in ambush and all attacked at the same time? Like, no, these are not, this was not an incidental attack by hungry wolves, right? Um, who just happened to, who just happened to, to, to corner them, right? <laughs> Pippin might have thought that. Maybe, JJ, maybe. Um, <laughs> Bill, I agree, Johannes. Bill might indeed have been under that impression. I'm, will, I'm willing to believe that. I'm willing to believe that. Um, but it's not just that they're not ordinary wolves hunting for food. They're not even ordinary wargs either. Um, this was no boating accident. <laughs> I like that laugh. Lath, lath, lath. Uh, that's, uh, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, yes. Um, uh, 
Yes, they're not ordinary wargs either. These are obviously werewolves. That their bodies have dissipated, that they had bodies was clear the night before. That their bodies have merely dissipated and not been dragged off is equally clear. The arrows would surely have been dragged off. The um, There would still be traces. There would still be signs. Um, there would still be blood all over the place. There doesn't even seem to be blood all over the place. Um, so, um, uh, so, yeah, yeah. That we're to understand their bodies have somehow just vanished, just dissipated. That is the only reading of that paragraph that makes uh, that I can make any sense out of um, that I can fit with what we're being told there um, Green Great Dragon I agree Aragorn would have seen some sign for sure yes and especially since Gandalf seems to desire to kind of downplay things right you know Gandalf is Gandalf is um, doing the opposite of saying so apparently we were attacked, you know, by demonic werewolves last night, actually. Um, it, if there were signs to be seen that could put some kind of uh, more normal explanation, more normal and less eerie and creepy explanation on what they're seeing, surely Aragorn would have given it, right? Um, but um, but he hasn't done, right? Um if they were Maiar, of the two werewolf theories I gave before, either that they are um, spiritual beings who have taken a physical form, or that they are um, spirits who have been bonded to wolves, the wolf itself, you'd think, would remain. Um, the fact that nothing remains at all seems to make it clear that we're looking at Maiar spirits who were manifested as wolves. Remember Gandalf called the leader of the wargs Hound of Sauron, right? He believes fully that these wolves have been sent by Sauron, um, possibly directly from Sauron. Um, and remembering Johannes's passage from four years ago, when Gandalf lists wargs and werewolves, orcs and trolls, wargs and werewolves, as among Sauron's servants. Um, this is not just a piece of historical curiosity. Um, yes, Trent, I do think that there is a little bit of um, setting the stage for this earlier on. Now, they're just called wolves most of the time. But you're right that there are places, there are moments when they're referred to as wolf shapes as well. Um, and uh, that would certainly be consistent with, you know, in some small way kind of prepare us for the fact that what we're indeed going to be seeing is not just a wolf, um, not just wolves, but indeed spirits in wolf shapes, in fact. Um, uh, yeah, so now we have, um, we have at least one important precedent for something like this. Uh, can anybody else think of a Maiar spirit who 
took a physical form and gets killed. Like the physical form is killed. Um, and all that's left behind is, you know, the physical items, physical item that was like in or on the body of the Maya before it was killed. Obi-Wan, good guess. Right, <laughs> two guesses of Obi-Wan at the same time. No, no. Um, Sauron. That's how the One Ring is gotten. Um, yeah, yeah. I know we don't really have clear data on whether Sauron left a body or not. Um, I know, I know. Um, I, but that, um, like, was there a corpse that could have been paraded through the streets? We don't know. He doesn't say explicitly, um, but we do know that he was corpsified and the ring was left behind. Um, uh, well, Valori, what happened in Numenor? Bygones. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I know Sauron too has certainly become a bad data point by this point. Um, uh, he, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I know he's coming back from Numenor with his t-shirt, you know, that says, um, you know, I brought down the world's greatest civilization and, um, you know, and, uh, all I got was this t-shirt and the inability to take a fair form anymore. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, hmm. okay. Thorin Gwethel, I'm back to Draugluin. Draugluin messes things up. It really does. If Draugluin is a werewolf in the same sense that these dudes are werewolf, then Draugluin doesn't have any business leaving a pelt. But here's the thing. It's really hard for me to try to force that kind of consistency on Tolkien's world building here. I mean, after all, Draugluin's pelt... Draugluin's pelt dates back to the really early days, Right? I mean, um, Baron was wearing the skin of a cat, a giant cat that gets killed. In the first version, when Baron's not even human, he's an elf, um, Baron kills and skins a giant cat and puts the giant cat's skin on, and Luthien has to like teach him how to walk like a cat because he looks ridiculous. Um, like it's, we're a long ways away from the, from, not from the final Baron and Luthien story, but we're a long ways away from here, right? Um, and the finding and wearing of the pelt of Draugluin and the assuming of the form of Draugluin is, um, uh, it's definitely, um, it's definitely a memory of that. I mean, it's the lineal descendant of that earlier version of the story when Baron was dressing in a dead cat suit and trying to pretend to be a cat back when Baron was a cook in the kitchens, 
for the giant cats. Yes, exactly. Um, so, I can't explain why Drogluin's pelt stuck around at all. Can't explain that. Um, all we know is that these wolves don't stick around. Um, and again, I can't think of any um, any way that somebody could have come in and vanished the corpses in the way that was that is described here. I it, it, there's no question in my mind that what is being described in that first paragraph is the bodies of the wolves simply vanishing, leaving even the very weapons that killed them behind on the ground, right? Um, you know, wolf shot by arrow drops, wolf corpse vanishes, leaving arrow floating in the air briefly until it falls to the ground, right? That's what I think is being described here. Um, and I agree, Bjarna's honor, I don't think there's any reason for anyone to intentionally come and take the corpses either. Even if other wolves came to take the corpses, which would be certainly not ordinary wolf behavior, um, they certainly wouldn't remove the arrows first, even if they did. But again, as you say, why do it? What's the motivation? Um, if anything, the absence of the bodies is kind of a tell, right? Um, you'd think if they were magical demon wolves, it would be in Sauron's interest to have them fake being regular wolves after they were dead. You know what I mean? Like it's So yes, I don't see any possible reason why some unknown and mysterious presence coming in to stealthily and magically remove all of the corpses without trace makes any sense on any level, in fact. Um, so yes, I believe that what this is showing us is what naturally happened to the wolves, which was going away and just vanishing. And you're right, we have seen that before. We do have, and it's important for us, this is an important rule, right? When you're trying to explain something that's going on in a text, um, look first for things within this text. We have to privilege things that we see within the Lord of the Rings itself over things that we see, for instance, in the Silmarillion or a version of the Silmarillion story from years before, right? I'm not saying those are irrelevant. I'm saying that what matters most is here, this particular text. Um, uh, Let's see, did Sauron incarnate these wolves in Mordor or here on the spot, Kurtzimus asks. Mordor, I assume. Mordor. Um, and I don't think he necessarily incarnated them. I think that he... Um, um, I think that he... He sent them. I mean, they they are presumably incarnate under their... Well, not, they're not incarnate. They are, they're presumably corporeal. You see the difference between incarnate and corporeal? kind of an important distinction in Tolkien's world. Corporeal just means a spiritual being that can take a physical form. Like Melian, classic example, right? Like any of the Valar and Maiar can do, right? An incarnate creature is one that has a soul and body joint, a spirit and body joined together. Um, spirit and body 
um, working in cooperation, like what happens to um, the children of Iluvatar. Um, that's incarnation, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, could be from Dol Guldur, possibly, possibly. Um, by that logic, animals would not be incarnate because no souls. Correct. They're, they're not incarnates. That's why the incarnates, <clears throat> that as a class of creature, incarnates are just elves and men and dwarves, which Iluvatar seems to, you know, the stepchildren of Iluvatar, um, and the wizards which are incarnated in a special case. And I don't know how. Don't ask me. I wasn't there. I uh, don't know the process. Um, was Gandalf ever a baby? Don't know the answer to that. Um, uh, was it a special one-off act of miraculous incarnation? That seems likely. Um, uh, eagles and Ents. I am not sure about Eagles and Ents, whether they count as incarnates. I am not convinced um, that they do. Hobbits are a subspecies of humans. That's perfectly clear. Um, I mean, I, they, 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 they certainly seem to share the gift of men and their mortality. And and I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened to make uh, to make hobbits so different from other humans, but that they are. Um, a subspecies of humans, I think, seems pretty seems pretty clear. Um, Nessa, you know, Nessa's my vote. Cal Elros, I'm just saying, in film film, we're gonna have to get around to the origin of Hobbit sooner or later. <clears throat> Nessa's uh, uh, Nessa's definitely one of my uh, one of my one of my votes. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, but anyway. So yes, so an incarnate is it's a separate it's a separate category. Um as I say elves and eagles, I'm not really I'm not really sure. Um elves I am not positive that the great eagles are have you know, do we ever see their bodies? I don't know. Not sure. But um um Anyway, um, so <laughs> okay, Jackie just wrote a one-word fan fiction story, which is pretty cool. Bill Huggins was asking if Gandalf was a baby who raised him, and Jackie says Glorfindel. There you go, boom. Um, <laughs> anyway, anyway, um, but. Um, uh, so, yeah, they're not incarnates, um, werewolves. So they were made corpor They took corporeal form in Mordor under the service, presumably under the domination of Sauron. Um, you know, Mister O.G. Necromancer himself, uh, dominator of spirits for lo these many millennia, right? And then he sends them out. We heard the scouts say that the wolves, um, it's one of the reasons they didn't go to the high pass 
was because there were reports of the wolves in the Vales of Anduin, right? So Sauron's wolves apparently came up from the south through the Vale of Anduin and came across them. That's why Gandalf said the wolves have come east of them, have come west of the mountains, right? Um, uh, he didn't know that that had happened yet, and it has now. Um, that they came from Mordor, I think, seems very. Uh, seems very clear. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, but anyway, back to what I was saying before about how we can judge this, what context we can put this in within from within this story itself. And whoever was pointing it out before is quite right. We do have one example, and I think only one example, of a very physical, totally confirmedly corporeal thing which vanishes into nothing at sunlight, at sunset. Sunrise, that's the word I'm looking for, at sunrise. And that's the Morgul knife that stabs Frodo and which Aragorn finds. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, trolls have also had a reaction to the sun, Bjarna Sonner, you're right about that. Um, but it's a quite different reaction and doesn't seem relevant here. Um, yes. By the way, we have every reason to believe that the werewolves themselves don't turn into smoke or mist or whatever um, at the time whoa sorry just suddenly remembering the bitter smoke but anyway yeah um, but no it's not it's it's not like trolls because the trolls of the hobbit anyway uh, the trolls turn into stone anytime they get caught in the sun like they're perfectly fine nothing's wrong with them until the sun comes up and then bam right that's not what happened here we have no reason to believe that the perfectly living and active had the wolves not attacked that all of them would have puffed into smoke when and you know and faded away when the sun rose um i don't i don't think so um i don't i don't i, I don't see any reason to think that these wolves have traveled cross country since mordor i don't think they've like necessarily avoided the sun completely. I mean, wolves tend to be nocturnal anyway, so... But no, I don't see any reason necessarily to believe that. Um, it seems rather to correlate with their um, deaths, right? It's corpses that have vanished. The living wolves presumably took themselves off uh, under their own power. Um, so... But I can imagine, it does not seem a coincidence that the corpses of the wolves dissolve into nothingness when the sun rises, just like the blade of the Morgul knife did. Um, yeah. And by the way, I don't think this means that the spirits who constituted those wolves are destroyed here. Their physical forms were destroyed. 
but we have lots of reason to believe that that could weaken them. Um, they're not necessarily going to all be coming back right away when this happened. Um, but one, no, I don't go so far as that. I don't go so far as to say that this is just a Morgul spell, that these are Morgul wolves, um, just like the Morgul blade. Um, again, remember, Morgul, uh, Morgul just means black sorcery, black magic. Um, and, uh, the blade... I'm not sure, one, this doesn't kind of go the other way around. That is, I'm not sure if we can't learn more about the Morgul knife from this than we learn about this from the Morgul knife. Um, if you see what I mean. What was dissolving? What was the blade of that knife made from? Right? Um, well, what does it do? The Witch King stabs Frodo with it. It breaks. The tip of it breaks off in the wound. And the knife dissolves when the sun comes up, just like the wolf corpses seem to have done. And then, yes, Cal Elros, it actively seeks the heart of the target. The bit of the blade that's in the wound continues like a living thing to work and act and um, attempt, continue to attempt to kill Frodo. Um, yeah, no, the whole knife, the, the, the hilt doesn't dissolve. The blade does. The blade does. Um, and that, I think, is what... Um, that, I think, is what is implied there. That it seems to me quite parallel. The physical form taken has done its job. Um... Yeah. Um, and no, the point inside of Frodo doesn't dissolve either, Dr. Benway. But it hadn't finished doing its job. Um, I don't know. Is it possible that the blade of that knife was a spirit? Was that that's what the Morgul blade was? That the Morgul, the black magic in question, the sorcery, in question. Was the sorcery of Sauron binding a spirit into that shape? Um, I don't know. I never even asked myself that question before. Um, I'm not really sure. Um, I... Um, you're right, JJ, that remembering ahead, we do know that spirits can be bound to inanimate things with the Watcher statues. Yes, yes, you're right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I'm not, I, I mean, I don't know. All of these things are mysteries. But we also, of course, have precedent for what happened to the, with the Ringwraiths in the Ford. Right? I saw a couple of you talking about this before as well, and I was thinking the same thing. Um, what happens to the spirits of these wolves? Well, probably they've made their way back to Mordor in shame the way that the Ringwraiths did um, at the Ford or after the Ford. Um, when they have been disembodied, right? They've been uncloaked, as we've talked about. And they have, they're left as naked spirits, and they have to make their way as best they can back to Mordor. And presumably, the spirits of these wolves have had to do the same thing. Um... Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rowan, no, the thing is not, the, the blade isn't in the wound of Frodo a year later. Um, but it the wound is hurting him a year later. Um, he is, um, well, we'll talk about Frodo's wounding. We'll get, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in uh, 25, 30 years. Um... Yeah, yeah. So, Dr. Benway, this is a great question. Did Gandalf's fire uncloak them? Could that have been what his spell meant? Possibly. After all, we don't actually see... Um, the fire was, uh, remember, cordially requested to rescue them and to go to the Gowerhoth, right? in some sense, right? The fire blossoms and spreads very, um, very impressively. We don't get any descriptions of the fire burning the wolves. Remember all those, um, um, remember all those descriptions of the pine cones burning and the wargs running around in circles and, now, that was comedy. That was The Hobbit, right? <clears throat> um, but um, but still, we had accounts of, like, wolves actually being burned by the fire. Although the blossoming of the fire in the trees and the crowning of the hill in flame is really impressive, we get no descriptions of any fire actually harming the wolves at all apart from the one that catches Legolas's arrow on fire so that it's a flaming arrow that, you know, sinks into the heart of the wolf chieftain there at the end. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, is it possible? Um... It is, is it possible that the fire that Gandalf calls is what undoes the wolves here? Maybe. It's possible. Um, it's possible. I, so, Faramirian, 
we don't get reference to blood flying when the wolves are struck, but then we never do. Tolkien's not really into that. Um, look through all of his battle scenes and tell me where you see blood being described. Blood will happen. Blood will be shed. And sometimes blood will be talked about, like in poetry, for instance, right? Now for wrath, now for ruin, and a red nightfall, right? Um, we're talking about blood, right? But actually describing it, um, like actually describing blood pumping out of dying corpses and things like that, Tolkien doesn't do that, really. Um, I'm trying to think of any examples. We will sometimes get reference to orc blood that's black because it's weird that it's black. Um, there will sometimes be blood on weapons. We'll see an orc lick blood off a knife at some point. But again, even in battle sequences, Tolkien, um, you know, he will speak of, uh, you know, Theoden hewing staff and banner, uh, staff and bearer. Um, but he doesn't describe fountains of blood or anything like that. Um, uh, and again, yes, there, there will be blood in the field sometimes. Um, Gilgaladi, you're thinking of Fingon in the Near Nith Arnoidiad. Um, yes. Does he describe there being blood in the field and Fingon and Fingon's banner being trampled in the mud and blood on the field? Sure. Um, interesting, JJ. JJ is describing poison frothing and bubbling from the wound. That's Shelob, of course. Um, but even there, we don't get blood exactly. Um, yeah. There you go, a green ooze trickling from below her wounded eye. That's pretty. That's that's uh, that's pretty gory. That's pretty gory. Um, yeah, yeah. Again, it's it's just not something that he describes a whole lot. So I wouldn't expect it. Yeah, we got we saw a wolf decapitation. I think the the spurting of blood. Um, I, the hobbits might not have experienced much battle, but even they might have found it pretty peculiar. Um, if the wolves were getting decapitated and there was no blood anywhere. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, right, yeah. So, again, no, we don't get any of that described, but again, we wouldn't. I, again, I think that he is indirectly mentioning the blood in that paragraph when he says no trace of the fight remained. He's not going to say there were no pools of blood everywhere, but there would have been, there should have been, and there weren't. Right. Um, so blood is certainly among the traces of the fight that remained. All in all, I don't think, I don't think I love the theory that the fire that Gandalf called is what like undid the wolves. Um, mostly because, um, first of all, some of them flee, right? Um, I, that doesn't prove that he didn't undo the corpses, but um, it... The disappearance is only discovered in the morning. Um, they don't notice all the corpses are gone as soon as the trees are extinguished before. That doesn't seem to me to fit. And if the fire is being sent against the Ngaurhoth, I don't think that... I mean, that seems rather inadequate 
for the just to clean up the bodies, right? Or for that to be the primary effect that it has. Instead, again, it seems to be correlated with the rising of the sun. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. Trifle says you would think Gandalf might mention that it was his doing, right? Um, uh, it's like, yeah, uh, I totally fried the bodies, right? Yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, no, I think the other wolves are lingering. So I think it's sunlight, but I don't think it's, I don't think the sunlight is going to dissolve the wolves themselves like trolls. It's, that's quite different. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I think that the um, the fire, the primary action of the fire is that it scattered the wolves. Um, you know, Legolas plus the fire kills the one or a war chieftain and the battle is just over. All the rest of them scatter and run away from Gandalf's fire. He ends the fight not by killing them all, um, but by but by scattering them. Um, yeah, OK, Um Let's, before we go, look at that last, um, look at that last paragraph. That day the weather changed again, almost as if it was now at the, almost as if it was at the command of some power that had no longer any use for snow, since they had retreated from the pass. A power that wished now to have a clear light in which things that moved in the wild could be seen from far away. The wind had been turning through north to northwest during the night, and now it failed. The clouds vanished southwards, and the sky was opened, high and blue. As they stood upon the hillside, ready to depart, a pale sunlight gleamed over the mountaintops. Um, this sense of everything conspiring against them. Um, remember Gimli scoffing at the idea that Sauron could be sending snow could be controlling the weather on Karathras, right? And Gandalf's response, his arm has grown long, right? Um, is Sauron controlling the weather? Is Karathras controlling the weather? Is nobody controlling the weather and they're just being really paranoid? That also seems possible. That also seems possible. No, Cal Elros, we haven't done a full word study on pale, though it's definitely worth looking at. Here, um, certainly one of those words we should keep track of as we go through, right? Um, a pale sunlight gleamed over the mountaintops. Um, here, this is a weak, weak and chill sunlight like it is a sunlight that does not warm them that does not reassure that does not reassure them because here the sunlight is their enemy right the clearer it is to see the worse it is for them right um yeah yeah um yeah um and yes sphinx i totally agree that the as um uh, he's just, is this as if, like the way Tolkien often gives us the experience of seeing something rather than straight description, it is certainly true that Tolkien 
often uses the as if um, as a way to tell us how it is, right? Um, one, I think we're supposed to be, well, not confused exactly, but uncertain as to what's happening. Almost as if it was at the command of some power that had no longer any use for snow. I think that where we are being placed in that paragraph is in the minds of the hobbits who are now looking around at everything in suspicion and doubt. They were first attacked by a mountain, and now they've been attacked by spiritual wolves who disappear like ghosts when the sun rises, right? Um, is the entire world against them? Um, is this Dark Lord that they've heard about and who's been pretty scary but getting been getting more scary lately looming somehow over their shoulder? Gandalf said that he could read the signs that Gandalf was here all the way, you know, from really, really far away. Is he watching? Is he watching? Is he doing... Is, you know, this weather is disadvantageous to them. Is it? Is it because... The enemy is against them. Is the enemy controlling everything? Right. There's a, all, all of this, um, this kind of paranoia, that is developing here, under the circumstances, is totally plausible. Um, is totally plausible paranoia, right? But we're not told the truth of it. One, um, if you told the hobbits. Yeah, whether 100% under the control of Sauron, they'll believe you, right? If you told them it's not, it's definitely not. Don't worry about it. Whether definitely not under the control of Sauron, they would say, well, it might as well be, right? Um, right, exactly, Valoria. It's not paranoia if they're really out to get you. And the Dark Lord is really out to get them, right? Um, so yes, the way in which... Their experiences are making them distrust and dislike a nice sunny day, as you say, Cal Elros, is um, um, <clears throat> that is one of the effects that they are experiencing here. And perhaps one of the reasons why Gandalf is um, still in serious downplaying mode as uh, based on his huge understatement there uh, after the morning. Um, so Amethorn, we will find out eventually that Sauron can indeed watch things and that he can get information really, really quickly. The question that I have is how quickly can he do anything about it? Um, that, um, that is, that's the really uncertain thing, I think. Um, so... And by the way, again, we're never going to be told. There is so much that we're never going to be told um, uh, about this whole section. Um, the Ring Goes South and the early parts of the Journey in the Dark um, are some of... They're very mysterious, right? What was that wisp of cloud that thing like a wisp of cloud that was moving fast and against the wind. We don't know what it was. What were exactly these wolves? Well, we're not told. 
exactly what they were, except I think it's pretty obvious they're werewolves. Um, these wolf shapes, right? Um, did Sauron cause the snow in the mountains, or did Karathras do that? Did Karathras cause it, or did Karathras just enjoy it, right? Was Karathras in league with Sauron, or was he just messing with him because it's what he does? Um, yeah, like we we don't know, we don't know these things. Um, was it just the wind? Right, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So we. Um, so yes, is Sauron controlling the weather? here, making this nice sunny day, just exactly when they don't want a nice sunny day. Um, yeah. I, um, we don't know. We don't know. Um, but one of the things, remember this is very early in the story. This is especially early in the journey of the hobbits. They've made it to Rivendell and they've all learned some things along the way. But they've just set out from Rivendell, and this is the first stage of their long journey and their long adventure. And they still don't understand how things work. And one of the things that Tolkien has done is create this weird world full of mysteries that the hobbits just don't know the answer to. And much as we might want to know the answer to them, Tolkien's never going to give it to them. Um, he's never going to give it to us. Um, can Sauron make anything pleasant even if it's to hurt his enemies? Sure, he just can't make himself pleasant, Gilgalady. He can make other things pleasant. He can still make many beautiful things. Um, but uh, the ring is beautiful. But, uh, but uh, he, he, can, he can presumably make a sunny day. He can, he can blow away the clouds. But he's not really making it beautiful, Gilgalady, if you think about it, right? I mean, the sun is going to make the day beautiful no matter what. All he would be doing is... Uh, turning the wind around until it blew away all the clouds to let the sun out. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, Green Great Dragon, we are getting Hobbit lenses on this, not human. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, good. Okay, and one last point. I think I agree with you. There is some alliteration in that last paragraph, but it does seem to have died down a little bit. There's some things that we can see. Um, but um, but it's, it's certainly not as prominent as it was before. Um, what if the flock of crows uh, changed form and turned into the wolf pack? kind of interesting actually um, we know they're not normal crows just as these are not normal wolves and the ways in which they're acting are both alike unnatural and remember how the whole rest of the natural world responded to the crows right um, yeah that's really interesting it's really interesting I don't think so I mean, I don't think they're just changing form. Um, but is there a similar kind of thing going on? Um, yeah, yeah. Vardendil, I was thinking exactly the same 
the uh, north to northwest during the night, and now it failed. Lots of ends, but the alliteration there seems somehow coincidental. Yes, that's exactly the sentence I was looking at um, when I was saying there's some alliteration here, but it doesn't it doesn't feel like it builds in the same way. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. All right. Well, we are out of time, so let's stop there. Next time we will see. Um, the plan for the next day and uh, a really interesting speech by Boromir, which, as you can guess, I'm pretty excited to talk about as I am to talk about every speech by Boromir. Um, but um, uh, but in the meantime, uh, tonight we're going to return to our field trip. Um, thanks, everybody who is uh, just joining us for our book discussion. And we shall now return uh, to our uh, explorations of the Lotro game world. Um, we're going to be going back to the text sites soon now. I've been waiting for the wolves uh, to be done, and I think what I'm planning to do is we're going to wait until we get in the book, until we get through the doors into Moria. Because then in the game, we'll go and we'll explore the parts of Eregan we haven't done. That is, we'll explore the path of Karathras. We'll explore the um, uh, the Wolf Hill, and we'll then go to where the Watcher in the Water was and in through the gates of Moria there. Um, and um, uh, and then we can begin the exploration of Moria, where there's really quite a bit to explore. Um, all right. But for now, so until we get there, which not so very long from now, um, we will... Uh, until after we talk talk to the watcher in the water, we will continue our exploration of where we've been. All right. Good evening, Valoria. How are you? Doing just fine. That's interesting discussion. Yeah, it's like I yeah I remember Sauron was like uh, the the werewolf wrangler. Yeah, he was. Werewolves were totally his yeah. thing, his invention, as far as we can tell. I mean, you know. Yeah, no technically, really wouldn't that make him the father of werewolves? Yeah, I wonder in what sense father, except that Karkaroth seems to be a genuine pop of Drogluin. Um, uh, that is, well, I don't I'm think we would have to take father I just mean progenitor yeah. one step up, that's yeah, all I mean. no, exactly, exactly. Um, in one way or another. But it, it is interesting, you mentioned the, but the wolf seemed like... Uh, inconsistent between one telling to the other and it is interesting when you consider the different authors of the wolves and it, all it sort of relays is that the the lupine race is so inscrutable that really no one can fathom them right they, they all have sort of their own interpretation yep 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 um yeah i mean it is interesting uh different people having different understandings of these things is definitely part of Tolkien's frame in some ways. Or they're all just, they're all getting little glimpses into their nature, but never the whole picture. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But also doggies! <laughs> of which uh, Tolkien was a fan, unlike cats. <laughs> cats, <laughs> Yeah. I, mean, I think one of my favorite uh, fan arts I've seen of uh, of uh, Myron and uh, Morgoth in the early days is uh, them asleep on the bed covered in a pile of wolves. <laughs> yes. Like, people who keep Great Danes. 
Yes. Okay. So it we're, we're for positions. <laughs> right. We're meeting at Claygora where we ended last time, right? All right. Yep. Uh, you All just right. porting back in. Oh, yep. I just hang yep, on. I gotta add you. Bumped in here. So we can find you. And put your little beacon on. All right. Okay. So last time we just discovered we were looking around for ruins of which we saw very few in this area. Um, mm -hmm. So we saw this village um, under these uh, cliffs up here from a distance. And we came in to discover that it was a little hobbit village. A little village of stores here mm -hmm. um all right but we didn't look around too much so nope. let's look around more okay so this house over here not the like faux smile right here right which is like a mm -hmm. hole in the ground but the actual house is interesting because it has very similar construction to Brie. Looks like a barn. This just looks like a like a hobbit barn, like you'd see up in a oat barton. Yeah, it may well be. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. yeah, but the architecture is what I'm looking at, and although it does have definite hobbity features like the gables on the roof up at the top um the little mm -hmm. cupola lean, roof the lean-to area over here yeah yes yes um it um it looks like I mean, it, it otherwise looks like looks very similar to basic breeze style which we've seen down here towards cardolan in places like herna of course as well mm -hmm. so these hobbits seem to have been influenced um, because again, th n their other houses don't look like this, right? This is this mm -hmm. is different. So when they're building a larger structure, they're building it like the large human structures, which presumably they've seen in the other towns. So, um, the one right nearby, what is it, Mossward? Oh, there's a dragony weather vane on that one. It, it does have a dragony kind of weather like vane. Yeah, it's, a, it's a wyvern. Right, wyvern. maybe. Maybe. Right, Stunduck, it's, well, on the one hand, it's, we can't prove exactly who influenced whom, but as we know for a fact that Bree's been here forever, it's a little hard not to assume that, um, I mean, it's possible that it could have been, like, redone in the style that was made popular somewhere else, but uh, in any case. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to say that style is also so prevalent in the Shire, you see it in all of the barns. And mm -hmm. uh, windmills. Mm -hmm. Right, but see, there again, we know that the Shire Hobbits originally came from Bree, right, before they moved yep. out into the Shire. So, again, that they would be influenced architecturally by the Breelanders makes perfect sense. Uh, yeah, it's the half-timber plaster mm -hmm. model that we've Yeah, Bree. exactly. And, and Angmar. And Angmar, Exactly. Um, which was leading us to speculate a common ancestry or cultural influence between the Brelanders and the Hillmen up there. Yeah, not too out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so the Hobbit holes. Um, so that mm -hmm. tower is interesting. I don't know. 
what it is, but I'm keen to oh, yeah. go up there and look at it. Um, a lot sure. of these hobbit holes, so most of these hobbit holes are made of brick or at least faced with brick uh, yeah, on, the, with, on the outside. With all the redstone around, that's a good use of the right, nearby materials. Right. So yeah, it just looks like it was... Uh... Oh man. This road doesn't connect. Lots, we go around? Lots of good river clay around here, I'm sure. <gasps> Basset Hound! <laughs> can we get up there? No? Looks like maybe we can't. I, I, yeah, I want to try to get up there because that looks fascinating. Can we go around is this way? Is it a watchtower? What is it? I think I can go around this way. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. I am lagging. Found a route up around the one. side here. Yes. Okay. All right. One in doubt, bunny hop. So. Oh, there's a hobbit. Oh, it's not a watchtower. just chilling Goodness. down here. Uh, nice view. I thought it was a watchtower from down there. Yeah. Um. No. There's a big trumpet horn on the top. Oh, there's a horn? Yeah, oh, yes. it is a watchtower. It's so big I didn't notice it. Yeah. It's like a big Dr. Seussian flugugu horn or something. Right. Yep, there it is. Well, they'd be watching, I guess they'd be watching the bridge over there. Yeah, so that means from up here, you could. See, which way are we looking here? We're looking north. Okay, so but from I that, mean, it could. Uh, it's horns go both ways, JJ. So it could be a listening device. It could the be wrong a listening sort of device. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what was that? Speaking to the horn. Um, <laughs> oh no, I was thinking of that. Yeah, it's like either the the gaffers who talk about walking trees <laughs> in the pub, or the 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 little old ladies talking about. So and so Zelda's at the what's it? Okay, so it's mostly north. You can't see much to the east very clearly from up here. Yeah, so this is no, a it's all overhung. Yeah, it's a watchtower that's designed to watch to the north, which I guess makes sense with this these cliffs around here behind. Yeah, um, it's a pretty good setup. They're well sheltered on this side. Yes, exactly. You see, so, that's uh, also why their holes are going inwards that way. Like, go instead of... Um, yeah. That's, uh, that's the sort of dwarven technique we've seen. Yeah, they're all in the side of... Pretty much all on the side of this same... This mm -hmm. hill, these cliffs up here. Um, one does wonder exactly what these hobbits... What do they expect that, like, what would cause them to blow the horn, you know? What are they mm -hmm. worried about? An influx of ruffians? I mean, we did see a ruffian camp due north of here, in uh, fact. Yeah, and, and we've seen wolf dens nearby. Right, and wolf dens, yeah. So, and those are two of the things that we know can be problematic. Mm -hmm. Um uh, got some Dunlanders to the south. Yeah. Yeah, but south of here is on the other side of the mountains and presumably going to be hard for somebody to bother oh. them from that direction. Yeah. Uh, there might be some goblin mischief. We're close enough to the mountains. 
Yeah, possibly. Possibly Goblin Mischief. But, okay. Hmm. Just, what I'm humming about is just sort of a watchtower from here. What it suggests about the culture of this town. That they built a tower, which is weird. Like, hobbits generally don't build towers. That's a... Yeah, which person pulled the short straw to have to go all the way up there? Yeah, I mean, and it's and I, I kind of love the architecture of the tower, too. You know, it's... Yeah. The foundation is a smile, basically. And then uh -huh. let's build a one big humpy roof section that's taller than usual. And then let's balance a tower on top of it. Doesn't it kind of remind you of it's a like tower a balanced on the back of an elephant or something? Yeah, yeah or, or, or a turtle. Yeah, or a turtle. Yeah, yeah with the, exactly. Yeah, with the big dome on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's like that shell that that's it's like that's it's like a snail inside like a one of those conical shells that go up in a spiral. Yeah. Yeah. Haunch. Right. Brickdale says you do need something to throw your dishes out of. Yeah. Yeah. Totally true. Um, There's the river right down there. Right. Right. Yes. And we're just, uh, remembering from Return of the Shadow when uh, that marvelous passage yeah. that described yeah. how the hobbits. It, it the, reminds me a lot of the New of the England stores. lighthouse, though, with the, mm -hmm. with the brick structure and everything here. Yeah, except it's square, not rounded, but. Um, we got square ones. Yeah. Most of ours are roundish. I guess it's Carolina I'm thinking of. Maybe Carolina Maybe. has a square one. Maybe. Um, yeah. It could, could it, be. Could it be more of a signal tower rather than a watchtower? I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe. Maybe there is a place at top for like lights or something like that to send signals. But... Or I mean, the very large horn looks like it could be heard, but is it not to give a warning of the invasion by enemies, but? to send some yeah. other signal. I'm not sure how and why, though. Like, you'd have to get a signal I mean, to here in order to send it from here. There might have been a need, you know, decades or centuries ago that they just kept it up because it was it came in useful. Maybe. Or something. Maybe. Maybe. Probably there's probably plenty of people going. Why do we have the bell? We never run this thing, and then the river froze over, and then it came in handy. Right. And then everyone's like, "Oh, that's why we have the bell." Right. I do agree that this tower is in pretty good condition. It's also oh, yeah. old because you know the tree grew up right next to it and threw it. And they have a that's true. Tree now. It's not a small tree. That's true. Oh, does it? Oh. I hadn't really been noticing the tree. Hmm. That should have been part of the guard tower maintenance. Right. Somebody been slacking. Right. Yeah, you got your whole you got your whole side blocked over here. Right. Obviously, feels, they don't care if people in the east can see them. It feels like somebody told the hobbits you should make a tower because you want to watch out for bad guys, but didn't actually tell them how to build a tower. So the hobbits built a tower the way they thought it should be built. Well, and it also it certainly suggests that they don't care. About, I mean, they're primarily looking 
to the north. They don't. I yeah. mean, that whole side of the tower is totally obscured by the trees. You can't see anything to the east, uh, yeah, or to the west from there. Um, but again, it could clearly, also be weather reports. You get a good bit of the clouds up here. Yeah, possibly. But uh, well, let's let's head over towards the next town. We'll do the same thing. We'll head over towards the next <laughs> town. See if we can find a milestone there, and uh, or at least a stable master. I mean, yeah. say it what you will. The tower's standing up. It's not like these goblin and orc things we've seen made. That's true. That's true. Oh wait, just there's an inn here. String. Emma Thorne, where's the inn? Oh, I'm gonna take a look at that. It's right here by the stable. Oh, stable. Oh, this one. Down here. What? Can we go into it? Yeah, there's a door right here. Oh, I didn't know we could enter. Okay, we'll enter here then. Yeah, hmm. looking around. It's a merry old inn. Okay. <laughs> see what we see in the inn. Oh, look at that. Somebody the likes fishing. Boat and basket. Okay, right. Very fishing-oriented. Lots of fish on the walls. Wasn't there one like this that we saw recently? It's like a long John Silver. Wasn't there another fish-oriented pub that we were in not too long ago? Unless There's it was the this one. There's the one in Lake Town. One in, no, no, it was definitely not. It was another Hobbit pub. Maybe it was this one. Maybe, did we come well, we in here before? we were exploring this one at Miss Moot. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, they're all kind of running together because we went. We we did a proper pub pub call through most of. No, I think that was in Tuckboro. Was that in Tuckboro? Or in the um, the extension, you know the. Maybe. Yondershire. There was, yeah, yon. That's what it was, Yondershire. Yeah, because there was the the place where they made rope, so they had all the fish in it as well. I like the brick interior too. Yeah, lots of bricks here. I do like the inclusion of like the native rock with the tree uh, roots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the tree roots are very interesting. There's a coracle here in the pantry for some reason. Yeah, that's what made yeah that that was interesting too because you uh, I was looking at the coracle the minute you said the boat and the basket and I'm like, well, this is both. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they got lobster pots and crab traps. Lobster pots. And I will... Yeah, well, lobster we'll pots. Right over here. It looks like the crusty crab. Where are they going to find lobster? I don't know. Maybe big crayfish. Right. Very big crayfish. Which I guess if you got big enough crayfish, maybe they're like lobster to hobbits. Mm, mud bugs. I'm sorry, giant lobster just made me think of teenagers from outer space. <laughs> the giant rear projected lobster. <laughs> nice setup here. I love the tiny little got fish a house on specialty? the huge trophy plate there behind the Oh. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's uh yeah, that's I think that's the 50-pound salmon. I, I have gotten all of these trophies, point or another. The one with the tiny little fish? Yes. That was the minnow. <laughs> There's more wood than fish in this trophy. 
Right. Is 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 there a landlord? Can we buy beer here? I'm kind of disappointed. I wanted to see if there was a house specialty. I do not believe there's a landlord. Because plus uh, it's obviously the bar, but right. there's no barkeeps allowed. Uh, right, we can't I, I like all the them. names they come up with for the house specialties. And the quests. Those are always fun. So... The clothes look kind of patched up and faded. I guess it's a it's a it's a fishing theme because of the river and all of the water here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these are the store veils, and so the stores are going to be on the water uh, and fishing. It's just interesting because this community does not seem especially nautical. I mean, there's a river, there's a stream nearby, but it's I don't think one. It'd be kind of hard to mess around in boats on it. Maybe they get a lot from the waterfalls. All you have to do is put some baskets and nets in the right place. Perhaps so. I mean, yeah, there are, there's there's a whole bunch of boats in here of lots of different kinds. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I just want to go back out and see the river now again. Yeah. Before we go. So yeah, I, there does seem to be a lot of agriculture as well. I don't think so. All, there's a pond. Okay, so there's uh -huh. a pond, and then the cool. river comes down the mountain over here. So we've got the waterfalls. Mm -hmm. But where where even yeah. is the river? It's up. We got to go up here to get to the river. Oh, it, we saw it from the top of the tower. Right, it's I saw the, the bridge over the it. The river is to the uh, east. Yes. Where the water wheel is. In the mill. Yep, they got a mill. They got a big dock here with dry and fish. <laughs> and fish and Thank you. Sorry. Okay, right here's the the mill. Man, that mill is that's got a heck of a chimney on it. Ted Sandyman would be so proud. Yep. It's a lot bigger than Sandyman's mill back in Hobbiton, is it? Okay, he'd be a lot envious then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, he's going to build a bigger and uglier one, but... Um, Eventually. Yeah, I mean, okay, there's a mill down here, but... And, yeah, there's probably fish. It just... Oh, uh, not too many boats, though. Hardly seems... Yeah, there's no boating that we can see happening. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, this is not a boat dock. No, and... What's more, we're like outside town. Like the river through here is very far from the center of the community up here. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, as I say, I'm surprised by the nautical theme of that tavern because it could it have been something sense. where it was, well, it could have been the fishing was more plentiful and people went on boats more 50, 150 years ago and Maybe. they stopped and started farming. Maybe there were some floods and the soil got good. I don't know. And the names, know. But the name stuck. I mean, we got pubs named Elephant and Castle. That or they're just the other communities of the Storvales are more focused on... I mean, as a culture, that they would be focused on boats and water. It's one of the things we know about the stores, so that's not, that's not surprising. Um, yep. And that this could have been a little farming community that spun off from one of the communities that was more genuinely water-focused and fishing-focused. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then they just kind of stuck to their roots, you know, and remembering their roots when they uh, uh, when they mm-hmm. when they started the the inn here is uh, is certainly one thing. The other one is the name in the basket implies there's a story behind it. Like maybe that's it's about like the first, you know, one of their forefathers who first invented a boat by falling into a basket and floating <laughs> to right. sea, or something. Yeah, yeah. It does sound like there might be a story behind that for sure. Yeah, as somebody mentioned it, maybe the rest is just all trappings like a Trader Vic's or Long John Silver's. Right, right. Who knows? Possibly, possibly so. All right, well, we should let people go. Up, you know, Colada Trader Vicks. <laughs> right. And his hair was perfect. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cool. All right. Very good. Well, we're gonna, I'm going to let people go. It's getting late here. Um, but uh, thanks for joining us on our tour of Claygore here. We're Next week, we'll move off up towards uh, Glyn Helig up here. Um, and then up towards Lintra. We'll continue our exploration of the store veils. And... Um, and then continue. Well, I think next north. week's Halloween, actually. Right. Next week is Halloween when there will be no class. I forgot about that completely. So, yes, thank you for that. Yes, no class no next problem. week. I just don't we'll have to back. walk about three miles out there. Right, exactly. We'll be back the week after. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Have a good night. A good one. Happy Halloween. Yep. Bye. Happy Halloween next week, everybody. Bye now. <laughs>